You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Isaiah 64, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, we'd encourage you to grab that pew Bible, uh, turn it to page 623. You'll be able to follow along with us as as we walk through a passage from God's Word today. So one of the major themes found in the book of Isaiah, we've seen time and time again, is this idea of God restoring and reviving his people. We've seen God's heart for restoration in Isaiah 55, as God sets out this banquet table uh, before his people, and he says, come and eat, come and find satisfaction and fulfillment and forgiveness. And we've seen God's willingness to forgive in Isaiah 57, where God says, listen, the moment that someone turns from their sin and comes back to me, I will heal them. I will lead them into restoration. And he's waiting for us to, to really to welcome us back home. But this morning, I want to look at revival and restoration from one more angle. I simply want to ask the question, what do we do when revival seems out of reach? And not our own personal revival, But what do we do when we have loved ones that have walked far away from God? How do we respond? What do we do? How do we pray? What should be our response when those who claim to be God's people seem to wander farther and farther from the truth? And the prophet Isaiah finds himself asking that same question. You see, remember, he is dealing his people, he's watching his people drift farther and farther away from God. They worship pagan idols, they live in open sin, and they act as if everything is all right. And at the end of the book, we don't see Isaiah delivering this fiery message of repentance. We don't see Isaiah standing up in the the town square condemning people for their sins. At the end of the book, we find Isaiah praying. He doesn't rebuke. He prays. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't fight. He's praying for his people. Isaiah prays to the only one he knows who can actually help. See, Isaiah knew something very important when it comes to people coming back to the Lord. He knows that this is a work of God, that God is the one that draws people to himself. It's God who softens the hearts of men. So when God's people seem out of reach, he prayed to the only one that could reach them. So as we open up Isaiah 64 this morning, we're going to see three prayers that we can pray over those far from God. We pray for God's presence. We can pray for God's conviction, and we pray for God's mercy. So before we jump in and break it down, I want to read Isaiah 64, those first nine verses. I just want us to catch a glimpse this morning of Isaiah's heart and his heart for his people, and also his his trust that God can actually move within their midst. And so I'm going to read these these nine verses, and then we're we're going to dig into Isaiah's prayer here. Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. It says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, 
and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. And in our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and you have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. God, we are all your people. And God, this morning as we open up your word, as, as we dig into Isaiah's prayer today, God. God, I pray, Lord, that we would just catch a glimpse of your love for those who for those, God, who have wandered far from you. All of us right now probably have at least one person on our, on our hearts. Loved ones, God. People that we would love to see come back. Uh, come back, Lord, um, from their sin. Come back, Lord, to fellowship and intimacy with you. Come back to heal the relationships, God. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would, God, guide us teach us, God, how to pray for them. God, give us hope, Lord, that you can work. God, give us persistence, God, knowing that you may be working right now. And God, help us to continue to depend on you to do the things that only you can. And I pray all these things in the name of the risen Jesus. Amen. So church, the first thing that Isaiah does first prayer that he prays over his people is that he prays for God's presence. Verses 1 through 3, we see Isaiah begin, to begin by pleading with God to open up the heavens and come down to his people. I love that in verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. When I was a teenager, and teens, this is probably, this is you, it's really okay, it's fine. When, when I was a teenager, I slept to like noon, one o'clock every day. That's just, well, I was a growing boy. I needed sleep. And I remember my mom was famous for coming into my room, like kicking the door down. I was like, come on, mom, it's like noon. What are you doing? But she would like open the door, take my curtains, and rend the curtains open. And my, my nice, peaceful, dark room was then filled with light. It was afternoon light. It wasn't morning light. It was the afternoon light, but it was still light. I was like, Mom, what are you doing? And she's like, you've slept long enough. It's literally afternoon. Get up, out of bed, let's go. 
this is what Isaiah prays here. Like Isaiah prays that God would open up the heavens. He says, God, your people have slept in sin for far too long. Would you please come down? Would you show us a glimpse of who you are? And Isaiah prays that God would come down and God's presence would be known because he knows three things happen when God's presence shows up. The first thing we see in verse 1 is that when God shows up, things change. In verse 1, it's, excuse me, verse 2, as when fire kindles brushwood and when the fire causes water to boil. Isaiah gives these two pictures that when God's presence comes down, nothing is left the same. Kindling, that's sitting in a fireplace. The moment that fire touches that kindling, something happens, and that kindling will never be the same again. When, when you have a pot of water, when heat gets to that, when fire gets to it and causes that water to boil, something happens, and there is an outward change. That water is not the same at that moment. And Isaiah knows that when God shows up, things change. And church, only the presence of God can take a cold, wayward heart and turn us back to the Lord again. So when God shows up, things change. But Isaiah knows something else about God's presence. He says, when God shows up, the world notices. In verse 2 it says, again, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations might tremble at your presence. See, Isaiah knows that an unbelieving world recognizes a holy and righteous God when God works in his people and, God, when, and when God works for his people. In Judges chapter 2, as, as God is leading his people into the promised land, in Judges chapter 2, we see Joshua sending two spies in, in, into Jericho. And while, while, they're, while they're in Jericho, they, meet, they, they stay at Rahab's house. And Rahab says that the moment that we heard that God parted the Red Sea, and the moment that we heard what God did in Egypt, our hearts melted because we knew that the God of the Israelites was God over heaven and earth. And friend, when God shows up and takes a wayward child and brings him back, the world notices When God brings someone out from addiction, the world sees. When God heals broken relationships and years of sin and pain, church, the world is put on notice. They're put on notice that God isn't done working. And better yet, that God can do the same for them as well. So Isaiah knew when God shows up, the world will notice what's going on. And lastly, Isaiah prays for God's presence because when God shows up, he surprises all of us. See, verse 3 reminds us that God often works in ways that we would never expect. When Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, no one expected that God would promote him to second in command in Egypt and save God's people from famine. No one could write that. 
When God's people stood between Pharaoh and the Red Sea, no one expected that God was going to part those waters and allow them to walk across on dry land. No one. And church, when you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, no one expected God to send his only son Jesus to the cross, paying our debts, so that anyone who believes may have eternal life. But this is what God does. And if you're still on the fence wondering whether or not God can actually do these things, I want you this afternoon to take a look at Isaiah 65 and 66 and see what God is going to do with a wayward, sinful people. I'm not, I know Pastor Mike's going to preach on those that, that over the next few weeks. I'm not going to steal this thunder, but just look. God does surprising things. We're reminded of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, where it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we, are at, all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Friends, we serve a God that when he shows up, when God's presence comes down among his people, things happen far more than we could ever even ask or think or imagine. This is the God that works among us. I love this, this quote from Kent Hughes. He says, There is nothing greater for ourselves, our churches, our city, or those far from God than a renewed descending of the presence of God. Friends, we don't need better programs. We don't need better buildings. We don't need more land or whatever it may be. We need God's presence, first and foremost, to change, to change our hearts first and to change those who are far from God. So we pray for God's presence for those who are far from him. We pray that God would tear open the curtains of darkness and sin and expose them to the hope and glory of Jesus. We pray that God would break the strongholds of evil and stir their hearts to the gospel. And we pray that God would show up and do the things that only he can. But not only do we pray for God's presence over those far from him, we see in verses 6 and 7 that we pray for God's conviction. Isaiah 64, 6 and 7 say this. It says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, no one who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden our, your face from us, and you have made us melt in the hand of your iniquities. Isaiah here does two things. The first thing that he describes in verse 6 is the reality, the reality of sin. Isaiah uses four similes. Four, he uses the word like four times to describe the reality of sin within, with, really within all of us. And he says that Isaiah describes his people as like someone with leprosy. And just like leprosy, sin is emotionally, physically, and spiritually destructive. It brings hurt and pain upon ourselves. It breaks down relationships with others. And it separates us from God. 
Sin isn't just a mistake. Sin isn't just an error. Sin is, sin is, a, is a destructive force within our lives. It's a behavior that creates barriers between us and God. And sin destroys everything that it touches. Sin causes our good deeds to be like a polluted garment or a filthy rag. And sin sucks the very life out of us and takes us away to places we never intended to go. Verse 6 is rich with theology when it comes to sin. And I don't have the time today to dig deep into it, but know that this is all of us. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Church, this is the reality of our sin. But verse 7 talks about the response to it. How do we, how do people, especially people far from God, how do they respond to sin? Look, look with me again in verse 7. It says, there is no one who calls upon your name. No one rouses himself to take hold of you. So basically the response to sin is that people are okay with where they, with where they are at. They're fine. No one cries out to God. No one asks for help. No one cries for forgiveness. No one stirs himself up to return to God. Like a pig rolling around in the mud, they have no desire to leave their sin. They like it. They find comfort in it. They find satisfaction in it. And I love the humility of Isaiah here. He uses, look how many times he uses the word we. Look how many times Isaiah is not saying, those people out there need this. Isaiah is saying, no, we. He is identifying himself with his own people and saying, God, I need this. This is the reality of my heart. This is the response that I have to sin so often. So it's just a lesson that as we look at other people that are far from God, it is so easy for us to become super judgmental and, and just to think, that could never be me. Friends, outside of God's grace, that could be you. And how often, maybe, maybe, it's not, maybe we're not living in outright sin, but how often do we respond to God with our fingers in our ears and saying, I'm fine with what I'm doing. Everything's okay. God, I don't need you. I don't need your forgiveness here. For the, the letter of 1 John says, if we think that we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Friends, all of us have responded this way. But what do we do? What do we do when people flaunt their sins? When people far from God post on social media about how good life is going and how happy they are with the choices that they've made? This is what we do. We pray for God's conviction. Pray for God's conviction. Church, I've learned over the years that no matter 
how many conversations I have. How many times I go out to coffee with someone. And no matter how well-crafted the arguments I can make, it isn't my place, nor do I have the power to convict of sins and change hearts. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not, not our own. Oswald Chambers, such a simple statement, but it rings so true. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Man does not. Some of us, some of us think it is our personal job to let everyone know how terrible they are. We have them here within the church. Some people think it's their personal job to let other people know every time they mess up. You, and some of you guys take joy in it. You're great at it. That's not our job, though. That's not our job. See, John, John chapter 16, verses 5 through 13, Jesus is describing the helper that would come after Jesus would, would ascend into heaven. And he describes the Holy Spirit's role there. He says, I will... He is, he is coming to convict of sin, to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. See, it's actually the Holy Spirit's job to lead people to the truth about Jesus, the truth about themselves, and the truth about sin. And when you and I put that burden upon ourselves, we're taking a position that is not ours. We're, we're, we're trying to tap into power that we do not have. And instead of just letting the Holy Spirit do its job, we, we sometimes create barriers between them coming back to God. Because we, we, we make it our personal mission to bring people back, a job that we cannot do. Now, before you get all crazy, I'm not saying that we shouldn't confront sin. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have hard conversations because we should. But as we do our best to pursue our loved ones far from God, are we praying? Are we praying that God would do the work that only he can do? Are you praying as you prepare? Are you praying over that coffee date you're going to have with, with that person? Are you praying over the conversation that you're going to have as you confront over sin? God does call us to have a ministry in people's hearts and lives. But we are to work with God, not apart from him. And I've had to and ask forgiveness for trying to carry a load that I was never meant to carry. And I've been burdened for people. And instead of praying for their conviction, I've tried every which way to, to make them see the futility of their ways. And I bang my head against the wall. when they don't move, when they don't change. 
But this portion reminded me, it's not our job to change their hearts. That's what God does. And so we pray, so we pray toward that end. We pray that God would, would convict them of sin. We pray that, that God would be the one to help them see how they're hurting themselves and hurting others. We, we pray that God would bring other people within their lives who could, whether it's be an example to them of what may happen down the road. Or maybe God uses them and, their, and, and a word from Scripture to move within their hearts. But we hand over the conviction of sin back over to God where it belongs, where it, where it belonged in the first place. And we're the ones that have taken that, that role and that job instead of leaving it at the feet of Jesus. So we pray for conviction of sin. The last thing that Isaiah instructs us to pray is that we pray for God's mercy. Verses 8 and 9 says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And so be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. And Isaiah watches his people spiral farther and farther into sin. He ends his prayer by calling on God to pour out compassion and love on his kids. Isaiah knows that without God reaching out, there is no hope for his people. So he asks God to remember three things. These are all things that, that, that we can pray for as well. And Isaiah begins by praying, God, remember who they are. He says, God, you are our father. These wayward children are yours, God. You have a relationship with them. Would you protect provide and fight for those who are already yours. Man, I love that picture there. In the Gospels, it says that, and dads, you can relate. You, you want to give your kids good things, right? You, you want your kids to succeed. You want your kids to, to, to grow and develop. You, you want your kids to, to feel loved and compassion. And I love what Jesus says in the Gospels. He's saying, if you who are sinful can give good things to your kids, how much more can your Heavenly Father do? And so we pray, God, would you remember that these kids are yours? Would you, would you chase after them? Would you discipline them, God, in your loving kindness? God, would you bring them back to yourself? God, remember, these are not some people that are just, that you do not have ownership of or anything like that. These are your people, God. So remember who they are. And secondly, Isaiah prays and asks God, God, remember what you can do. He says, God, you are the potter, we are the, the clay. And there's so much deep, there's so much richness there and God's sovereignty and everything else. But I love in Jeremiah, the, the next book over from, from Isaiah, Jeremiah chapter 18, about verses 1 through 7, I believe. God calls prophet Jeremiah into, into a potter's house, into his workshop. And he says, Jeremiah, I, I, I want to teach you a lesson today. 
So he goes and, and observes this potter who is working with, with, the, with this, this clay. And as the potter's working, something happens, and, and that, that clay, that project, is spoiled. And instead of throwing, instead of throwing that clay away, the potter refashions it and makes it into something usable and good. And I love in verse 5, God being the master teacher, in verse 5 he says, Jeremiah, this is just a tangible reminder of what I can do for my people Israel. And church, it's a reminder for us today. As we're looking at our loved ones who are far from God, who seem unusable, who seem broken, where sin has infiltrated every part of their lives and they just make poor choice after poor choice after poor choice and they're ruining relationships and they're hurting everyone. We're praying, God, remember what you can do. God, remember that you can take something broken and unusable and turn it into something good again. So we pray, God, remember what you can do God, remember that, that you are in the business of, of restoring people and healing relationships and bringing people back, God. This is what you do. So we pray, God, would you do that again? As you've done time and time again, would you, would you please do it once more for my loved one who is far from God? And lastly, Isaiah finishes up in verse 9. It says, God, remember what you have promised. Verse 9, he says, Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look. Again, God, we are all, we are, we are all your people. So we rest in the promises of God. Isaiah 57 says, I will not be angry with my people forever nor will I contend against them. There will come a time when I will bring restoration, where, where I will bring healing, where I will draw them back from the darkness and bring them back to a loving relationship with me. So I would go to places like Isaiah 55 and 57. I would go to Psalm 100. 103, where I simply would, would pray God's promises over that loved one. Isaiah, uh, Psalm 103, beginning at verse 6, says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. He acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I've taken that passage. And often I prayed for those loved ones far from God. 
God, would you not treat them according to their sin? God, would you not be angry forever? God, would you restore them? God, would your steadfast love be poured out upon their lives? And we pray. We pray for God's mercy. We pray that that God would look down upon them and show his favor and and bring them back. We pray that, that God would surround them with people that would encourage them back to back to righteousness. We pray, for, we pray that God in his goodness would get their attention whatever way he can to bring them back to himself. But we pray for God's mercy. And the thing that this comes back to, that Isaiah 64 rings true so much, is that when people seem out of reach, we pray to the only one who can reach them. That when our our loved ones seem too far gone, we've tried all the tricks, we've had interventions, we've made the phone calls, we've sent the text messages, we've done all that we can. Remember, one, that there is still hope. But two, our efforts need to be directed to the only one that can change their hearts. So I want you right now to think of that person. And maybe you already have. Who is that one person in your life right now that has wandered far from God? Who's that one person who, from the outside, looks there, they, you know that they're living in sin, but everything seems good right now? Who's that person who flaunts their choices in your family, social media, in your friends? Who's that one person for you? And I'm going to ask you to do I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. One, commit to praying for them. Commit to praying God's presence in their lives, that God would break through. Commit to praying for God's conviction, that they would feel the weight of their sin, that they would see the consequences there. And lastly, pray for God's mercy, that God would reach down in his compassion and love and that God would do a work in their hearts. So I'm going to ask you to commit to praying for that person or for some of you here, you haven't prayed. You you have prayed these things before, but it's been a long time. I'm going to ask you to recommit to praying for them. Write their name down. Put it somewhere where you can see it. And pray. And as I just invite the the praise team and the the prayer team forward, I want to leave you with one final encouragement. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 12. I was talking this over with, with my grandmother this week. Um, and she gave me this verse. So, Grandma, if you're listening, this one's for you. But she said this. She said, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So with that in mind, pray, knowing that God can work. Pray knowing that God's timing is best. In the midst of tribulation, God may be at work doing something even right now. And pray knowing that God can use your prayers to bring our prodigals back home. Why don't you stand, let me pray over you, and then we'll close by singing one more song. So God, I thank you, Lord, for this passage. I thank you, God, for your hearts, for those people that have wandered far from you. God, I pray, Lord, that there, I thank you, God, that there is hope, that you can change things. And God, you simply called us to pray. And not simply, God. God, prayer can move mountains. Prayers can accomplish much. And I pray, God, that you would use the prayers of your people, Father, to bring our prodigals back home. Thank you, Lord, for your love. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.